0: you're listening to the cathedral podcast to learn more about cathedral like service times or how to get connected with a small group visit we today's message comes from pastor eddie tilly all right good morning good morning how y'all doing this morning yeah doing good 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 man that was a strong worship set right there man Hey, let me tell y'all how much Pastor Dave loves you. When we shot that video you just watched, it was absolutely, bar none, the coldest wind chill day on record for Charleston. So I don't know how his mouth was moving. I think if you look closely, it really wasn't. Like words were coming out. But man, it was freezing, freezing cold. So I know it looked all nice and warm and beachy and all that. It was not. Um, but he is super, super excited uh, about that series. It's going to be so good. The book of Ephesians is such a, such a good book. So March is going to be a phenomenal, just great lead up to Easter. And the Can You Relate series has been amazing. How about Megan and Luke? Um, week one, talking about Dominate the Distance. I love that, like when you're aware that there's like, there's something there, like you're just not as close as you used to be, or there's just like something, a wall has gone up or whatever, don't, you know, sit back and don't be passive about it. You know, dominate the distance, take the steps, be, be in what do you call it, intentional. Be intentional and go and do what you have to do. And then Bo and Alice last week were hilarious really talking about a serious subject, which is managing our expectations. Because a lot of times, most of us, our expectations are so much higher than real life. So I thought they did just a great job of of not just helping us with that, but also helping us have a little fun with that. So today, I want to talk to you about can you relate to Jesus? I know, it's a church. That seems cliché. But this is my premise. My premise with that is that I think there are a lot of people, um, I think there's a lot of people that know about Jesus and are even Christians. They've accepted Christ into their heart, but they really have a hard time relating. Like if you were to talk about how do you relate to Jesus as a person, and, and I think that's hard for the average person. That's why I'm thankful for Cathedral because the way that we do our messages and the way we teach the Word of God and the way we teach about who Jesus is goes beyond just He died on the cross for your sins because most people can't relate to the Creator of the universe. So the Jesus Christ who was in the beginning was with God, and everything was created through Him. And without Him, nothing was created that had been created. He was with God in the very beginning. He created everything. I think it's hard for us to relate to somebody like that. But there's clearly... A passage in Philippians where it talks about the fact that Jesus had a point where we were in trouble. We needed to be rescued. He laid all of that down and came to earth as a baby. More importantly, to be a human. The Bible says that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And it's the man part that you and I need to learn how to relate to because he wants that with us. He really does. He doesn't want you just to be somebody who believes in Jesus. He wants you to be changed. And I can't go much further because I just talked about Jesus coming to earth as a little baby. And if you don't know, my wife and I recently became brand new grandparents to baby Archer. Look at that. Yes. Typical granddad. Hey, this would be a great chance to show you some pictures. There you go. I've only got about 52 more on my phone, but I'll spare you. That's that's a good collage right there. We are so over the moon with him. But but think about that now. Jesus, the creator of the universe, comes to earth as a baby. That's the Jesus that I want us to relate to because as you're going to find out in this message, man, there's a lot going on in the world right now that... That kind of more intimate relating relationship is what we need with Jesus. And it's not easy. It really is not easy. It wasn't even easy for the disciples who walked with Jesus. Look at this passage of Scripture out of John 14. Jesus told him, talking to one of the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, the connotation there is an intimate knowing. If you had intimately known me you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. An important part of what Jesus did when he came to earth was to show us the heart of the Father. There's a lot of things you read in the Bible that that can look like God is just wrathful and angry and just ready to drop the hammer on you any moment. And part of Jesus' mission was, let me show you the true heart of my Father. And he clearly says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So to really know someone means that you have an intimate relationship with them. That can be with a spouse, but you can absolutely have an intimate relationship with your friends, with your family, your siblings, with with coworkers, with your neighbors even. Intimacy means you just move beyond the surfacey kind of up here relationship. And now you go a little bit deeper where now I know a little bit more about you personally, like especially when it gets to struggles. When it moves into the hardships that you've gone through in your life. When you let me in on that, like your trials and your struggles and, and the things that you know that you struggle with in your heart or in your mind, now we have moved to a more intimate level of knowing each other. And here's why that is important. This is something that is known all throughout psychology. So if you ever go and take psychology in college and you're gonna take that route, this is one of the things that they're gonna teach you. They're gonna teach you that belief always precedes behavior. So in order to change the way a person responds to life, you have to change what they believe about life. So in other words, when somebody comes in for a counseling appointment, the issue is not what they're doing. The issue is the belief system that's driving what they're doing. So if you want to change that behavior, you're going to have to somehow figure out a way to find out what their belief system is. And so... In the first week of Growth Track, step one, which is Know God, we talk about how the fact that you and I are created in the image of God, and there are three parts to us according to the Bible. Body, soul, and spirit. Our body, just our flesh and blood body that we live in, that we're only going to live in here on earth. And then we have our soul, which our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So until the day comes that you decide to put your faith and trust in Jesus and then become what the Bible calls a brand new creation. Let me camp out there for just a minute. It says you're a brand new creation when you put your faith in Christ. So when you make the decision to ask Jesus to come into your life, you're no longer the person that you were who now just believes in Jesus. According to the Bible, supernaturally, you're something totally different. You are not just... Eddie, who now believes in Jesus, you supernaturally have become a new creation. But until that day happens, the only way you know how to live your life, like everybody, is out of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you live your whole life out of what you think and what you feel. Then that day comes when you get quote-unquote saved, meaning that you decide to put your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation. You become a brand new person, and now spiritually... You're supernaturally connected to God. Now there's a way for you to begin to get God's heart and God's view on your life and the world around you. And that is His desire. That is His design for us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about becoming more intimately connected to Jesus. And here's the reason why. Raise your hand if you are 24 years old or younger. 24 years or younger. Yes, bunch of them over here. Love that. 24, now, keep your hands up. Don't put it back down. Keep them up for just a minute. So, according to the U.S. Census Bureau survey that happened in March of last year, half of all the hands that are up in the air right now struggle with some type of anxiety or stress or depression disorder. Half. One out of every two. Y'all can put your hands down. Everybody who's 25 years and older, raise your hand, hold them up. According to those stats, every hand that is up right now, one in three, 33% of you suffer with the same thing some type of anxiety, stress, or depression disorder. That is, those are, if you don't know, those are very high numbers. If you go back and look at the statistics, just as early as 2015, they were dramatically lower. We're talking, in some cases, 60% lower. So those are huge, huge numbers. And here's the problem. If you're struggling with those types of things, that makes it very hard to relate to anybody, let alone Jesus, and that's, that's not any kind of marketing thing. I'm just, I'm just stating a fact. Like if you're, if you're having to fight something like that, you've only got X amount of energy and X amount of life. And if you're having to invest X amount of that over here trying to, to manage and cope with life, dealing with that, that only leaves so much to be able to relate and connect. And so my theory is if we can get more intimately connected with Jesus then perhaps there's a way that there's a heart change that happens in us that helps us with that. And like I said earlier, the way you get to know somebody intimately is you get to know what their struggles were, and Jesus struggled. Jesus had struggles. Again, I know I'm breaking a paradigm there. I think that we just think Jesus went through everything he did, and it really, yeah, there were some hard things, but I mean, he's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But we're going to read in the Bible that Jesus experienced the hardships in life that we experience in the same way that we have experienced them. Let's look at anxiety and stress. World War II, they did a very interesting study, psychologists again. They studied the men that were fighting in World War II. This is what they found. With the infantrymen, the men that were boots on the ground in combat, after 60 days of being in combat, they were completely emotionally dead i'm not saying that word that's the word that's in the research paper like emotionally just blank there's just nothing there after 60 days of combat and of course i don't need to tell you why if you've ever watched a show like band of brothers you know you know why here's the interesting stat that one i don't think surprises anybody the one i think is very surprising is there was another group of men that had a higher mortality rate than the infantrymen these were what were called the dogfighters. These were the pilots who flew the planes and would end up in these dogfights with you know, the enemy, so it's like one-on-one, you're fighting. Their mortality rate was 50%. So in other words, if we were in World War II and we gathered all the men and we had about 30 guys who were going to fly planes and we flew out on a mission tomorrow morning, out of the 30, only 15 are coming home. And they knew that. Yet... They had a 97% satisfaction with what they were doing. They were not emotionally dead. If anything, they were the opposite. They were excited. They were fired up about the position that they had and the job that they did. Even though every time they flew out, it was literally flip a coin as to whether or not you come back. Heads, you do, tails you don't. 50-50. The difference? A perceived being in control. They're in their cockpit, surrounded by all the gauges that tell them what's going on, and all the controls are in their hands. So they had the perception of their fate being in their hands, even though it wasn't, because the mortality rate doesn't lie, 50%. So that, that perceived control gave them that level of comfort, which, so that gives you some insight into where stress and anxiety comes from. It's the sense of not being in control. And I think if I asked this question, you would 100% know the answer. How much of your life are you really in control of? How much of what other people do are you in control of? Zero. Nothing. No sense of control. Here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus was no stranger to that exact thing, that sense of not being in control and it getting so bad to where the stress and anxiety caused him to experience something probably even worse than most of us have. This comes out of Matthew chapter 20, uh, chapter 26. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. It says he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Those are Jesus' words. And so there's probably a lot of people in here that you can identify with that. You've been in a situation where your anxiety or the stress got so high, you felt so out of control that you maybe even had literally thought you were going to die. Because maybe you couldn't catch your breath. Maybe all of a sudden it just the emotion so took over that even breathing became something hard for you to do. Jesus was there. My soul is crushed to the point of death. And he said, Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. And then here's the key. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus was not in control, he was in control of his personal decision. In that moment, he could have pulled the plug, he could have bailed, he could have ran. He knew what was coming. He knew what was in front of him. But he also knew he was not in control of that situation. And if you don't believe that, just read that last line again. Not my will, but your will. He had to relinquish the fact that no matter how bad it looked, no matter how bad it seemed, no matter how horrible it looked like it was going to be, God is in control. And that is the key for you and I. I know sometimes we think that when we turn our lives over for God, man, it's just going to be so good and so wonderful. Never again are we ever going to have to deal with pain and tragedy and heartache and strife. I mean, you're getting saved doesn't change the world, right? We all experience the same things. It's the same world. So there's absolutely times when you you are not going to understand why in the world God would allow whatever it is. But you do need to get to the point to where you say, God, I know that you're in I don't get it. I would not do that. I don't understand that. But I know that you're in control. That's the way Jesus handled that. What about loneliness, which leads to depression? Again, according to the experts, we are in a crisis of disconnection is what they call it. They're talking about loneliness, but they call it a crisis of disconnection. And you know what's driving it and making it worse now, they've, they've proven this. This is not just somebody's opinion. What is driving and making the level of disconnection and loneliness worse? Social media. Which kind of is backwards, right? Because you're, And here's the deal. The deal is you have people that are already lonely, and they're so desperately wanting these likes and these follows, and when they get them immediately, there's this sense of gratification. There's this sense that, okay, yes, somebody's on my side. They're with me. Then immediately you realize, but that's not real. The follow means nothing. The like means nothing. There's no real flesh and blood person here. So what's driving our culture further and deeper into loneliness is social media, and they say what counteracts that is social interaction. Flesh and blood interaction. That's why I love, like for these young guys over here, we got a see you group, cathedral young adults. And if you're in this room and you raise your hand and you're 30 years a younger, man, you need to be in that group. You need to go online, you need to, you need to do whatever you got to do, find one of these guys, go over there and ask them about it. Get in that group. They're meeting every single week. Just something like that, just getting around people that have the same kind of values and beliefs that you have can do wonders, wonders for you feeling isolated and alone. And if you say, man, I'm older than 30, we got tons of groups. There's tons of groups on our website that you can go online, you can sign up. I know it can seem scary I know it can seem freaky. I know that a lot of y'all in your head, you're like, man, I ain't going to none of them groups. They probably sit around and chant and like vape weird things and stuff like that. No, they're not doing that. These are normal people. They're people just like you. Matter of fact, all these people leading groups, it was a journey for them to lead a group. For them to get up the courage to say, oh, because what if I decide to lead a group and nobody comes? Which is real. That happens, right? And so we coach them through that and we help them through that. But they're normal people just like you. There's groups on there for people that want to study the Bible, for ladies that just want to have fun, for men's groups. There's all kinds of groups. Find you something and get plugged in. Now, for this passage of Scripture, so remember what we're doing, we're kind of looking at these moments in Jesus' life. It's almost like if, if you and Jesus had a conversation and you were walking with him and he just shared these moments with you that are from his life, when you walked away from that conversation, you would feel like you knew a side of him that you had never known before. Like if he shared with you about being in the garden and what it felt like. And the same here, this loneliness piece, again, is from the crucifixion, but this is actually when he's on the cross, Matthew chapter 27 it says, at noon, darkness, which that darkness means darkness of night, fell across the whole land, all of the earth, until three o'clock. Stop right there for just a minute. What would you think if we got out of church and you headed out of here here in just a little bit and it was completely dark? I don't mean eclipse dark. When it said darkness fell over the whole land, that was not an eclipse. It was darkness of night. The sun was completely blotted out by something for three hours around the world. And when you read some of the extra biblical texts, the texts that record those moments in history, but they're not in the Bible, they describe a chaotic, horrific event that had people groping around in the dark, completely freaked out, and even this sense of terror and darkness. For three hours. What was that? I don't know. But I don't want to experience that. Have you ever gone into like one of these caves in the foothills of South Carolina, North Carolina or whatever, and you go down in a cave and they've got the path all lit up and then they turn the lights out and you can't even see this? That's the darkness. Jesus has been hanging on the cross and it has now been three hours of that kind of darkness. And it says at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Now look at that word in the Greek. Those are actually... The Greek words, and it's not in the Greek. It's not pronounced "phone." It's "phone." There's a little accent on the e. So it's "megaphone." Now, what does that look like? Megaphone. After three hours, Jesus wasn't up there whimpering. Oh God, what? Where are you, Lord? Lord, where? where, where did, why? Why have you forsaken me? No, that's why you need to pay attention when you read. There's exclamation points. Megaphone. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? And then he breathed his last. That's what he experienced. That's the loneliness that he went through. I've been very irritated lately at pastors that are preaching that, that that somehow the presence of God did not depart from Jesus. Jesus knew what the presence of God felt like. He'd felt it his whole life. And you don't cry out like that unless you don't feel that presence of God. And those are Jesus' words recorded in the Bible. And in that moment of loneliness, there was nobody there for him. Everybody that was the closest to him in his greatest time of need, they had abandoned him. Out of fear for their own life, they had run away. didn't mean that they didn't love him. They just, they just did what we all do sometimes. We just, we just don't make the best choices. And they left him to die on that cross by himself. So on your days when you're lonely, I don't, I don't know what Jesus would say to you. I really don't. But I know he understands how you're feeling. And sometimes that's all you need. You just need to know that somebody knows what this feels like and jesus 100 percent knows what this feels like so the question becomes to go back to week one and megan and luke's message how do we dominate the distance between us and jesus that jesus because i think there's a big distance between our head knowledge of Jesus. We all know, I say we all know, everybody in here that professes to be a Christian, we all know that Jesus Christ was a son of God, that he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, that he created all the heavens and all the, we know all of that in our head. But there's a distance when it comes to this intimacy. How do we move Jesus from what you're hearing me say right now in these passages that I'm reading in this sermon on this stage and get it from here to here, where now it can really do what God says the Bible does. God said his word is alive and living. And he says when you, when you take the time to get into it, it gets into you. And when it gets into you, it changes you supernaturally. It's not about you correcting behavior, about you doing right or wrong. It's about you supernaturally being changed on the inside. And the only way, personally, I think that happens is you have to move to a more intimate setting. There has to be a time where you go beyond just coming to church on Sundays. I mean, there has to be a time when there's no distractions, and you can take these exact same verses, the the passage about him being in the garden, and you can close your eyes and you can imagine it, And you can see him there, and you can see Jesus sweating blood, which is a very real medical condition. In that medical condition, which there's a name for it, and I've already flipped the page, so I'm not going to say it, but it's literally when somebody is under so much stress that the blood vessels begin to burst, and when they sweat, they sweat blood. It's very rare, but in the last decade, there have been like 12 recorded cases of it. You can see images of it online. But it's real. So when he was sweating blood, it wasn't because he was Jesus. It wasn't because he was trying to do something that nobody else had done. It's because the stress and the anxiety of what was about to happen was so, so on him, was so just pressing down on him that he was having a physical reaction. Now if I'm sitting here and I can imagine that I can think, God, is that what it was like? Like when I was that little boy in that class and I was having those panic attacks, like, was it something like that? Is that what it felt like? And of course, I never sweat any blood. And you just you just let the words go beyond what somebody said in a sermon, and and you let them linger. In you to where it has time to drop down out of your head into your heart. I can't even imagine what it was like for him on that cross. After three hours, it is worst. It's the worst possible time, right? I mean, he's been beaten beyond recognition as a man. He's been nailed to a cross. It is the lowest and most excruciating moment of his life when he needed to feel and sense the presence of God more than he had ever felt the presence of God, and it wasn't there. And now not only was he feeling alone like maybe you have, but it even manifested in darkness covering the whole earth. And it's in these moments and and maybe you find a song. I love this song that they're playing because to me, it just helps me process things like this. That Jesus is, he's a firm foundation. He's somebody you can trust. And there's something about a song that as you sing
1: it it's
0: like it helps the words move
1: the rock on which I stand.
0: and that's a truth that everything
1: is a truth because
0: everything is going to be shaken at some point or another many I've
1: times that I put my faith in and that is true I have
0: I have put my faith in him
1: He's never and he doesn't doesn't let you down. Never. (laughs) And this
0: is why I love this song.
1: He'll
0: never fail you. He'll never fail you. you. He'll never leave you. He'll never leave you by yourself. He'll never abandon you.
1: He will
0: not fail. sometimes we just need those words to move down begin to feel things moving, you begin to get that sense of peace. Yes, that's supernatural. Supernatural. That's right, it doesn't it because it's supernatural. Mm-hmm. Nope. Doesn't matter what happens. That's right. That's right. Yes. feel things beginning to shift it's like the burdens the cares the concerns the things that just had you just so so wound up so tight it's like they just start they just start slipping away even though what you're singing about is the truth you're singing about oh the winds are gonna come <laughs> they're coming
1: yeah they're coming but my
0: house is built on Christ. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent I'm going to make it. I might not be able to see it, but I know I'm going to make it because my life is built on you. You are in control. You love me unconditionally. You're not going to abandon me. You're not going to leave me by myself. No matter what I see, no matter what I'm going through, you are walking with me through it. I just have to trust you. I have to put my faith in you. I have to believe in you. Yes. And it's just through that that worship that the atmosphere just changes. And now this, this atmosphere is where you come to God with your questions, with your, with your concerns, with, you know, what, what, God, what am I going to do about my finances? What, what am I going to do about my family? Whatever it is, it's, it's this moment here because he's with you and he's listening. I'm not going to say that he's going to give you a clear answer every time, but I'm, but I'm telling you a thousand percent he's there. And he's listening. I mean, it's here that you even come to God with one of the most volatile topics going on in our country right now, politics. say, oh, daggone it. He had to mess up the sermon with the politics. Well, I mean, just think about it, right? Because if we're in this epidemic, which we are, of anxiety and depression and stress and loneliness, What is the one thing that is pushing us to be more isolated, pushing us to have more anxiety, pushing us to be more stressed, if not politics? I mean, we're in an election year and you think, well, Eddie, Eddie, you're not allowed to blend these two worlds. I'm about to blend it big time. Let's imagine what the political climate was like for Jesus. So again, you're in this moment and you're, you're sitting in your chair and you're reading about all this ministry that Jesus did in Jerusalem and all the surrounding cities around Galilee. And, and then you begin to read between the lines, especially with these different people that seem to step forward and challenge Jesus. And you realize here's these different people groups that, were, that Jesus was dealing with. Number one, you had Pharisees. You and I would consider Pharisees conservative religious leaders. And these conservative religious leaders had become corrupt. And in their corruption, they were now putting unjust um, rules and regulations on the people. They had taken the Ten Commandments and made them 10,000, making it nearly impossible for anybody to ever have a sense of being okay with God. Just manipulating people and, and... and, and taking advantage of them. And then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the wealthy aristocrats. They were in charge of the temple, and they had a very vested interest in Rome's continuing power, and that interest was wealth in their pockets. What did they do? Oh, man. They did religious taxes and fees. Hey, thank goodness, as cathedral. We're not putting any religious tax on you guys. Last I checked, we got no religious taxes coming out your paycheck. It's what the Sadducees did. Religious taxes and fees. Then you had the zealots. Who were the zealots? Just these random groups of people living up in the hill country like these little militant you know, groups. And every now and then, you wouldn't know when, they'd just come down into the cities. They'd stir up the crowds. They'd start riots. They'd try to overthrow the local governments. And then caught in the midst of all them are the Samaritans. Who are the Samaritans? They're just the hardworking people that live there. Different ethnicities, races, social statuses. They're just trying to live their life. And so what was Jesus' political climate? Well, he had these corrupt conservatives putting unfair pressure using the Bible as a weapon against people. You had the Sadducees that were just putting unjust taxes and fees on the people. And on top of all that, there was this constant threat of random violence erupting at any moment between these different factions of people for no apparent reason. Does that sound familiar? That was the political climate for Jesus. Okay, Eddie, get to the part where you tell me what side I'm supposed to be on. That would be this part right here. Matthew talked about it in chapter 5, and this this is how he addressed it. He said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. I mean, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus challenged them all. Jesus would say to you, there shouldn't be any of these groups. If Jesus came to this earth today, one of the first groups of people he would chastise would probably be the church. He'd probably say, explain to me why y'all have a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, a Methodist, a a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, a Catholic. just the church just followers of Christ now in this whole politics thing hear me right I'm not saying don't get involved with politics I'm not saying that at all I'm not saying don't do your civic duty you should you should vote you should absolutely vote I will be voting but I am saying where you make those decisions of who you're going to vote for need to come from right here my personal conviction this is my Eddie Tilly's personal conviction When people start talking to me about candidates, there is one passage that I use in the Bible to help me weed out 90% of people that run for political office. You find it in Psalm where David said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. And every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That should be all you need to know when it comes to who should be running the country. Well, Eddie, oh my gosh, we're all sinners. And I I get that. We are. You're absolutely right. We're all broken. We're all flawed. This is not about looking for somebody that's perfect. But I can't, I can't consciously vote for somebody, a person that believes that any person gets to subvert the creator's desire for a life. Because God himself said, I create all life and I give all life mission and purpose. And I equip them and I, and I mold them and I shape them with incredible plans. None of us have the right to take that away. These are the moments where you have to make tough decisions. But there's nothing like being in a moment like this and and you're looking at whatever your situation is and maybe you don't get an absolute clear answer on what to do, but you get peace. Now you're not frustrated you're not aggravated you're not anxious you're not stressed out you're just it's like you suddenly touch the truth that God has got you he's got you and Jesus came to show us that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, this is a part of it. Even Jesus himself did this. There's so many passages in the Bible where Jesus would get away. Well, Eddie, when do you have time to do that? I, you know, I don't know. Me, I'm a granddad now, so that means I'm an empty nester. So I got a lot of time. You know, Jesus didn't have much time. There was such a demand on his life. So a lot of time, he was doing this at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. But he knew it was so vital and important because the world was putting so many demands on him and demanding his time and demanding his attention. And his heart was to to meet every need. But he knew that he couldn't. Not in those days of walking here on the earth. He knew a time was coming when he would after his death and resurrection. But in that moment, he couldn't. So he had to get away in times like this and say, Father, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? is it okay to leave because there's still so many more people here but I know you need me to go to these other places and these are the moments where God would speak to him when everything all the distractions would fade and then he could just get that peace but Jesus wasn't a religious prude okay this is a sweet moment and it's wonderful and I love these moments in my own life but I don't live here right I mean, I don't walk around when somebody comes up to me and says, Eddie, Eddie, hey, man, would you like to, to come play softball with us? I'm going to have to take a moment and breathe in the presence of God before I can answer thy question. No! And Jesus didn't do that either. I mean, what is, your, what is your mental image of Jesus when he was just walking around on earth? You know, Jesus tried to set the record straight there in John 10, 10. He said, hey, let me tell you something about the thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And Jesus was full of life. I mean, there's this scene in the Bible where Jesus is ministering to people and some children, parents are trying to get their children in there so Jesus can just touch him. And the righteous disciples are like, move thy children from his presence. They are to be seen and not heard. And Jesus chastised me. He said, man, what's wrong with y'all? Get off the prudeness, man. Let them kids get up in here. And the Bible says literally he gets down on his knee and he starts blessing the children. Now, this is what he didn't do. I bless thee, holy child of the Most High, woven together in your mother's womb. No. No, he's looking at these little kids. He's like, oh, my gosh, you are just the prettiest little girl. You know, God has blessed you with the most beautiful eyes. I love your hair. You're just sweet. I can tell you. God has just blessed you. You are so sweet. Your heavenly Father loves you so much. Look at you, you fine, strapping young man. Man, God's blessed you with some muscles. I see him up underneath there. I see that little bicep flexion right there. You are a handsome young fellow. Man, God has blessed you. That is the Jesus of the Bible. That is the Jesus that reflects the heart of God. And so I want to kind of make this transition into the more sort of everyday life Jesus. And The Chosen does a great example of depicting Jesus around the wedding that happened in Canaan, which is very interesting because Jesus and all his followers were invited to this wedding. And Jesus had not preached a single sermon or worked a single miracle up to this point. So that's not why they invited him. They were just like, dude, that man's fun. That guy's got a lot of life, man. We need him and his followers up in here in the wedding. They're just, they're just great guys to hang around with. So in these couple of scenes that we wove together from The Chosen, you kind of get to see that more human side of Jesus. Take a look.
1: Watch out for the frogs this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sons of Jonah. We were just looking for you. they dancing to the song of Miriam, and we thought you wouldn't want to miss it. Of course. Let's the three of us show them how it's done, huh? I don't think that's such a good idea. Why? Andrew has four left feet. Four? (laughs) Why four? When he tries to dance, he looks like a donkey walking on hot coals. (laughs) Fish, wine, what will be next? Any suggestions? Anything. And everything. Let's do this. I'll go with you to the ends of the earth. I hope so, Simon. I seem to remember there was a problem. Something about Andrew's feet. Andrew's feet. But first we must evaluate. No? No. Uh, no, 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 I can't. I think we have to. No, 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 I can't. Come on,
0: I love that because that's such a huge part of why jesus was attractive to so many people part of it yes it was the miracles that he that he did it was the way that he presented who god was but it was more about the life that came off of him they'd never experienced that everybody's image of god came from the pharisees and the sadducees and couldn't have been any further from the truth of who the real god is so having fun is important It's important to us as a church, if you haven't seen our newest billboard lately on Ashley Phosphate, we want you to know church can be fun. Church should be fun. Look at that. Church can be fun. Yes, and some of y'all need help having fun. So I'm going to help you out. I'm going to show you a side of me that very few people have ever seen. Um... I have some different personalities that I work with, like me personally, like schizophrenic type personalities. Um, And there's one I'm particularly fond of, and Pastor Dave is very fond of him. Pastor Dave has wanted you to meet this personality for a very long time. I wasn't sure it was a good idea, but this weekend's the perfect time, because we're having fun. So let me give you the context for what you're about to see. This past week was Valentine's Day, and my wife and I are in a small group. It's like our life group. It's some couples that we have done life with for years and years and years two of which are Keith and Amy Brace. So on Valentine's Day, Amy Brace sends a video of Keith in their kitchen singing her a song. Some gushy country, well, all country songs are gushy, but one of those, you know, country, love you more than my tractor songs, like sing, I mean, belting it out, right? He's got his little karaoke track playing on his phone. Well, the thing is, Keith can sing. He's a good singer. I can't sing but I am competitive and I was not about to go down just because he could sing. So I'm like, man, I gotta have something. What am I gonna use here? And I thought, I know exactly what I'm gonna do. I can't sing, but I can make them laugh. So this is what I came up with.
1: I just want you to know, Keith, that, that was a very touching video. I, I, I watched it. Um, I went to uh, Neighborhood's house to get uh, Valentine's dinner for me and Susan, and uh, some reason it took him like about an hour and a half to get our food. So I, I had, I had, I got thirsty. <laughs> and so anyway, I was driving home, and I said, "I'm gonna watch this video that my buddy Keith did." And said, when you were seeing, when you were seeing it, it was just touching my heart, and I just thought. Anyway, I was thinking, you know, like Susan said, you set the bar high. Like you, you set it high. It's up there. And I just want you to know as your friend, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to, to I'm, I'm going to do what I can. All right, that's all I got. Hey, I can't sing, so Drunk Eddie's all I got. Happy Valentine's, everybody. Love y'all.
0: So there you go. You have now met Drunk Eddie. One of my favorite actors for all the old-timers in here was Foster Brooks. Foster Brooks was a comedian that played an incredible drunk person, and he didn't drink. So it was phenomenal. Obviously, he observed some drunk people, which is, you know, one of my favorite things to do is observe drunk people. And uh, it's just endless information. It's just great fodder for comedy later on in life. All right. So getting to know Jesus more intimately. This is the key. Like this is good. All this is good. Having a fun church is great. Having a church where you're hearing the truth out of the word of God. Everything you heard here today was biblical. It's wonderful. But it has to have time to get down deeper. And the time is when, when you take control of that calendar and when you take control of your life and you say, I'm not going to let life run me. I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to carve out time for just me and Jesus. That could be through reading his word, through listening to worship, or you have to figure out what works for you. We're talking in between services. It looks different for everybody, but the most important thing is that you figure out what works for you. All right, so before we leave, I've got one more fun thing I want to do. I want to celebrate Cathedral Academy. If you didn't know, we have a school. We actually have a preschool that goes from birth to three years old, and we have a school that goes from K-4 to 12th grade. And this year... Cathedral Academy has been breaking all of its records. Let me, let me give you some records that we've broken. Um, we just had re-enrollment. Re-enrollment is where the parents that already had their children here. Before the school gets opened up for anybody to enroll, they get the opportunity to re-enroll their children. This past re-enrollment, our re-enrollment percentage was 87%. 87, Yes! So we had an 87% re-enrollment. The first week that we opened it up after re-enrollment, we had 51 new applicants and more coming in. Our current enrollment is 400 students, the highest that we've ever had. Yes, give my a hand, give my a hand. And then it's basketball season. So our boys varsity basketball team just finished up the regular season 23 and 9. Our girls' varsity team finished up the season 19 and 6, which means they both won their divisions. They both get a bye in the first week of the playoffs, which is happening this week. And ironically, Cathedral was honored to be chosen by SKISA, South Carolina Independent School Association, of being the only local campus here in the Charleston area to host the state playoffs for that first round. So yes, give him a big hand. It's funny because we're hosting for the first round and we've got the bye week. So neither one of our, neither one of our teams are playing in the first round. But that's, that's just good, good stuff. If you would like to know more about the academy, there's a table set up right out there in the foyer. And um, they'd be glad to answer any questions you might have. Stand to your feet with me if you would. Um, next week, we will have some other numbers for you because I forgot to get them for this service, but we have a couple of players um, who have shattered their lifetime record numbers on scoring. and it is un- that's one of them right there. Uh, Jalen Almeida, um, and then I think there's one other one. Um, but anyhow, they've done an, an amazing job, yeah, Claire Griffin. Um, so phenomenal, phenomenal, we'll get you more information about, it, but we just want to celebrate them and celebrate. Cathedral Academy. I want to bless you with the awareness that Jesus wants to have an intimate relationship with you. I know that you know him. I know, I know that you know of him, but he really wants to get to know you, the real you, not the perfect you, not to come to Sunday church you, not to you when you're doing good. He wants to get the nitty-gritty you. When you're in your worst moments, He's had those worst moments, too, and he wants to get to know you so that he can strengthen you and encourage you and help you get through those times of need in your life. I bless you with the awareness that you're taking that kind of light into that kind of a world, which desperately, desperately needs it. So go out there. Let your light shine. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to The Cathedral Podcast. If you are encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.